Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Side, a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in this marriage. I'm one of your incredible co-hosts, Amber Wallen. I'm Ben. Hi, Ben. Can you believe, Ben? We are in week 25, and this week we sat down to read Nine Bar Blues by Sheree Renee Thomas, and we're about to get into it. 25 weeks, Ben. The podcast is still popping. Ain't nobody been murdered yet. It's a, it's a good year. It's a good year. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about why we chose to read this book? So, Sheree Renee Thomas. <laughs> yeah. That, that is her name. That is her name. She wrote a anthology called Dark Matter, which was one of the first anthologies that said, hey, black science fiction has something unique to say. And it was never supposed to be like the definitive part of black science fiction. But she's sort of a god when it comes to anthology and helping other writers like get it, you know, get it done, especially when it comes to like black science fiction and fantasy. So Dark Matter is a collection of short stories. Yeah, but she all wrote by, all of them. Yeah, but all Or she compiled this. She compiled them and she got writers and I think she was the first one to introduce uh W. E. B. Du Bois as a science fiction writer. Oh. So that's what initially put like how did you when did you read Dark Matter? I read Dark Matter when I started um dealing with my racism. Which was when? Uh, I would say when I first moved to Chicago, I started working on the South Side uh, in North Lawndale at a school, and there were just cultural things that I were really confused about. Uh, for example, I did. It was at a Christian school, so at one point, I there were some kids having this discussion, and I said something stupid. Some like, black children. Black having children. a discussion amongst themselves. I was a lunch aide, and we were talking. They were talking about. I don't know. I I think I probably interrupted their conversation. You, right. I probably butted in on their conversation. They were like sixth graders. And, Still a, a black space that you interrupted. I did. And they were talking about, you know, fighting. And I said something about turning the other cheek. And they're like, what does that mean? And I was like, you know, in the Bible, because it was a Christian school, they had chapel. And one of the kids who I had a good relationship with, because I would, I ran after school and, you know, I like watch kids play basketball with them. It was a really great experience, but he's like, listen, Mr. Wallen, this is the hood. Someone hits you, you don't turn the other cheek. Once you go down, they don't stop hitting you. They just keep hitting you. Uh, and listen, <laughs> and what did Joy say to that? I didn't say anything to that. Anyway, I think I Dark Matter was one of those books at that time where I was like, I need to read more black authors. I had been reading science fiction and fantasy, and all I really know about black science fiction was Samuel L. Delaney and Octavia Butler. So that's when I really started. This was maybe, you know, eight years ago now, discovering, you know, Sheree uh, Renee Thomas and Nettie Okorafor and um, Nalo Hopkinson. I started reading all their works and sort of expanding my horizon. So yeah, I would say that was sort of the, my initial, um, experience with her, but enough about me. Uh, this is a short story collection or a short story cycle. And I was like, you know, a short story cycle, sort of like an anthology series. And I, you know, since you watch like eight hours of television every day, uh, 
can you just sort of explain maybe what's like the benefit of having short stories or an anthology series instead of, you know, a episodic overarching plot type of thing? What, yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, you can sort of watch each piece of the puzzle for what it is. Mm -hmm. There's a level of like overthinking that doesn't have to happen. Like when you watch a series where each episode is connected you have to be like, oh, let me go back. What did I miss? I might have missed a really big piece of this puzzle. Whereas, you know, when we watch Bob's Burgers, it's like, yeah, we know the family, but you can mm. watch all these episodes standalone right. and I can enjoy them and just not get into like overthinking. Yeah, I think there's this difference, though, between an anthology series, which would have completely new different characters. And then there's your overarching narrative, something like... Um, Star Trek Discovery, right. which has, you know, a plot for the whole season. And then there's something more of like every single episode has the same characters, but it's different. That would be something like Bob Spurk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anthology series would be like Black Mirror. So what does Black Mirror or shows like that, like wh how would they bring something different or more unique? What do you think? Because you're the TV expert. I am. Well, it's, I mean, sadly, sometimes it's just like a shorter attention span or it's like, if I didn't like an episode of Black Mirror, it was that episode of Black Mirror. Mm. I'm willing to give the next one with a new team of writers and stuff like that uh, a chance. As opposed to like, oh, well, this show doesn't work for me. Interesting. Like, I was watching freaking Sharp Objects on HBO. It's going slow as hell. And now, and people are like, but there's this huge twist at the end, but I'm not invested in the story anymore to go to the end. Because I see that the pacing of this whole show is like very slow and drawn out and not a lot happening. Whereas if that was an anthology series or a short story cycle, I could be like, okay, well, let me just like, you know, that was that episode that was slow. But maybe this next one is completely different, refreshing new take on everything. So let's do something new. You know, I've been wanting to ask you, though, um, because you also know a lot about rap. Oh, who, me? Yeah. Why would you assume that I know a lot about rap? I, I don't know. I don't listen to any rap, really. Uh, so what would be the... Well, Sheree uh, Renee Thomas mentioned this short story cycle more as a mixtape. She described it. Oh, I love that. Tape. Or I think her editor uh, described it as a mixtape. And I was like, oh, that, that rings really true. But what's... I always like forget, what's the difference between a mixtape album... That's a good point. Sing oh, well, I know what a single is. I feel like... Singles Because this is why some people have... It's like why Chance the Rapper couldn't win anything for acid rap because it was a mixtape versus like Coloring Book was an album. So I, I don't really actually know, but I think an album has to be sold to the public for consumption, whereas a mixtape can be just like put online or something. Mm -hmm. there, there's something that's like a, a monetary thing. Like oh. you have to sell it at a certain, in a certain way oh. for it to be considered an album. Yeah. But then there's also this structural element where mixtape can have like a hodgepodge of different things. Yeah. But then also have this overarching theme. So it's both a capitalistic phrase, but also there's a, a whole thematic structured between difference between an album and a mixtape. By the way, I didn't know that Chance, the rapper, could not win anything for acid rap. 
And I just want to know that I had asked you about rap and you got offensive. That's but you knew that. You knew that. I didn't know that. You know what? Let's talk about nine bar you blues do, before I just press pause on this whole podcast. You do know more about rap than me. Because you're I, black I, I was, and that's oh. rap is more of a black part of black culture. Yeah, I would say that. That's fair. I can it's, name it's all funny. the white rappers. It's just rappers. funny to... I mean, there's only about five of them. I can name them all. Name three white rappers. Mac Miller, Eminem, Post Malone. He's not. He's more like R&B, though, right? Post Malone? I would say he's a rapper. And then uh, Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> not the full name. I know, Machine I, Gun Kelly. I know more for him for his acting. Anyway, let's move on to the actual short story cycle because it was just like a, a beautiful drive a magical drive through memphis and i really appreciate it you, you know, know for my southern reasons y'all need to y'all need to uh oh, oh you say y'all book. now after reading this book. i did i oh man i i picked up so many new i discovered the blues as you were saying oh after. my gosh y'all we were going to uh, a friend's house for just like margarita night and ben after reading this had you know discovered like oh the blues exists, so he had just been playing like BB King and Buddy Guy on like Alexa level ten sound. I think you were trying for, to take a nap. I was trying to take a nap. Before he went, and I'm hearing, you know, my baby broke up with me. She stole my car. You're you're a dirty rat, and, and Ben's just in the shower, just like. Well, no, it's I smell a rat. I smell a rat. You know what I'm saying. Ben. Yeah, Well, the audience it's might just, not. No. It's just annoying that you decided to discover the blues when we when I was trying to take a nap and when we were about to go out. So interestingly enough, that's completely false. I did not, not discover false. the blues. You I rediscovered the blues. them. Well, I told you. So I I grew up okay, homeschooled. Okay, Christopher Columbus. I grew. Up... <laughs> it's like I discovered America. It's like it was okay, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. sure you did. <laughs> That's really funny. Go you're, ahead, you're go right? ahead, Chris. Chris, tell the story. Tell the well, story no. about how. Well, blues... I was I was homeschooled, and I remember loving Led Zeppelin and um, Jimi Hendrix. But my dad grew up listening to those. He was a pastor, so he said I couldn't listen to those. So I had found myself on some weird website about like great guitar players, and that led me to like BB King and Buddy Guy. So I went to the library as a child. As a child, and you could get you know cd-rom so the blues mm. was safe right they didn't swear you know they they talked about like sadness and stuff but m- my parents probably couldn't even understand what they were saying yeah. um but i remember listening to the you know bb king and and uh buddy guy and uh we'll we'll get more into this but that sort of led to me learning about a story because i also discovered uh it was robert johnson as well uh, who was basically one of the first people to, you know, uh, create albums on the blues. And I went to Chicago in high school with like a Christian college trip. And on that trip, I got into like a pretty big discussion with one of the other students on there because he said like Robert Johnson was, had trade his soul to the devil to like learn the blues, which is sort of a plot point in one of the stories of nine bar blues. So this kid wasn't wrong, he, but you wasn't trying to hear that. Well, 
I didn't because at that time I still believed in the devil and I didn't want to think that I was like listening to the devil's music, right? And I was like, no, the blues is about sadness and dealing with slavery. And like, I, we got into this whole, um, we're dealing with at this point, like share, you know, sharecropping or that, that, you know, Jim Crow. I just love the visual of you being homeschooled, arguing I'm, with another student who was homeschooled or, or was this it was a, a Christian, it was a Christian school. Yeah, I just Christian love school. like two white Christian boys arguing about the blues <laughs> on, on a school bus trip to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a pretty funny, uh, it's a pretty funny image for me. Yeah. Did you win the argument, Ben? I don't, you don't, you don't, no one wins in those kinds of arguments. So no, is what I'm hearing. Well, I'm, yeah, sure. No, I did not. I did not. Well, I do want to talk about the cover of this because, um, Sort of like my, I mean, the first impression, first of all, we loved it, but it's such a beautiful book. But I think, Amber, you sort of had this habit of fucking up our books. Like the last book we read, you got like Shout coffee out. stains on it and then you were eating hot chips for this book and I saw some <laughs> hot chip stains. So I don't know if you'd well, like to. Well, this book is a, a love letter to Memphis and the blues and and, and, hot chips, and black apparently. girls. So if there's a hot chip smudge on one of the pages, that means I was like in it eating some just like comfort food because I was feeling comfortable and at home I it, it felt so you know I'm not I'm not from Memphis I'm from Georgia but I just felt at home and what do I do when I'm comfortable at home I eat. Hot chips and sometimes. smear them all over the page. There's literally like red markings on the page. There's one page with a little smear. You'll be okay. That's what books are it's, for. It's disgusting. Books are to be worn and and felt and uh you know used. Like you you want that that imprint. You want to leave that because that's how you read books. You read them upside down. You read them while you're eating. You read them while you're doing your coffee. I so never it's read like a book every book down. is like a whole experience. Okay. That's what books are for. All right, let's go into the first impression. You keep on mentioning Memphis and in this book, Memphis is a big part of it. And I remember leaving this book being like, oh, Memphis is one of the characters. And then I read an interview from Sheree and she's like, Oh, yeah, Memphis is a character in this book, for sure. So talk to us about, like, how did you feel about Memphis after reading this book? I mean, I felt excited and to want to go one day. As you know, we've been watching um, Buried by the Bernards on Netflix, which if you're not watching this show, you you got to watch it. I know um, if you're listening to this show, you might not be invested in reality TV, but it's about this, like, black family that runs a funeral home, a funeral parlor in Memphis. And they're hilarious. And all of their, you know, turn of phrases are just like, just remind me of home so much. And it's this, peppered and this book, with, it's seasoned with seasoned, regionalism. It's seasoned, if you will. With regionalisms. Uh, with regionalisms. It. And this book is the exact same way. So I am excited to go to Memphis with you one day. I know that we're going to go to... Nashville. You know, we're gonna go to Nashville. I, I knew where we were going, but I just was, I didn't, I didn't want you to get in trouble with your job. That's why I, I, I paused. <laughs> well, I'm gonna get vaccinated. Right. Well. Okay. Well, we're gonna go to Nashville. I'm actually just gonna. I'm not editing that out. Yeah. Don't edit it. <laughs> well, we're gonna go to Nashville soon, and it really just made me happy because we 
when we talk about travel, we glorify like traveling abroad mm. and going to the West like Coast. Tokyo or, or like yes, yeah. Ben has been wanting to go to Tokyo, you know, ever since I met him, and and we will do that one day. But it's also really nice to go to just like a, a very like. A, a, an American city rich with music and food and culture and we don't we overlook those southern cities sometimes you know because of the racism and the guns and the bibles I really like that you put bibles <laughs> in that list got your bible then... got your gun that's the southern way baby alright so basically listeners before they go to Memphis they should read Nine Bar Blues and watch Buried with the Bernards right? yes. those are your two of criteria course, because before. it was that that magical realism like the book wasn't so the book the backdrop of the book was Memphis and the blues so you this whole book was like a sensory experience in a way which is what I really enjoyed because I could sort of smell what was happening I could hear what mm. was happening I could see it for myself and so I'm curious like you know, you're from upstate New York. Like, was this sort of like a five sensory experience for you? Or or were you like, I cannot quite visualize like this part of the book? Oh, for sure. So there's one story in the book in which um, this sort of immortal being uh, is, well, I guess, one of the muses who's brought music over from Africa into America and there's a point where this the a character is describing African instruments and the difficulty in which to play this African inspirational music using like a box of wood and cat gut and for me uh all st my violin strings are made out of cat gut I was oh like God, I did not know yeah that. so most strings are made out of cat gut so there are these little parts where if you play um, um, strings made out like a guitar string or certain strings that are not made out of cat gut, there's a completely different feel. Um, uh, the strings on the your fingers. The of cats. Yeah. So like cat gut strings are the best. Oh my gosh. So as a musician, you were able to I was, tap it in. It was so, I, I was like, I really, I wonder if Shere, uh, Sheree like plays an instrument or just did her She research. certainly has an intimate knowledge of musicality and what were you were saying something about how the and she said in the book as well but like how the blues is played on like a different fret or something describe this for people who have yeah. no musical background like because i am exactly so there's this whole um on a guitar you have frets and if you play a note you put your finger in between two frets and no matter where you put your finger in between those two frets you play the same note and so if you move your hand up you know to the next fret, you play the next note. Well, what the blues is known for doing is that when you bend the guitar string, you're playing these notes, right, that are in between the frets. And that is why um, specifically, it's not like whole, it's not this like whole pure type of notes. Like if you play on a piano, you you press the, the note and bang, there it is. You know, you can't play notes in between the keys but on a guitar you can by bending the string and that is why a lot of people thought that the blues was like inspired by devil because you weren't playing like the natural sounding mm, it's notes. like a purgatory situation yeah, with it's, no, instrument. yeah yeah so um that's and, awesome and and uh there's a whole line into this 
about um, about that and how that idea is actually a pretty racist idea. It was helpful, I think, to sell albums to be like, hey, this is music inspired by the devil, right? Mm-hmm. Anything that's inspired by the devil or you can you can use as a marketing tool. But at one point, um, the character says, I think, you know, the reason they did that to Robert Johnson, that he sold his soul to the devil, was because... Uh, they didn't want to recognize that this man just studied the shit out of out of the co- out of the guitar, which I thought was like really really fascinating. But again, these are like little Easter eggs that I think if someone are like, you know, even minimal music theory, they'll sort of pick up, mm-hmm. uh, and which was sort of you know one of the the big part of that. Let's actually, you know, that's one of the big themes is this power of music. And this mystical power of music. And I know, um, Amber, you know, whether it's five o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night, you are, um, you know, kneeling at the altar of music. And what I mean by <laughs> that, uh, you can explain. Ben is trying to, in his uh, shady way, say that I'd be singing my ass off like all the time. And you don't sing, you sort of like croon. What is that supposed to mean? Croon means that you sing, you know, someone can sing Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star, but you croon, which is like you embody the music. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, I completely belt out and and do choreo and am singing it from just like every fiber of my being. I'll give you that. Which uh, there's a this character in the book, Animus who mm-hmm. is sort of like that reminded me a little bit of you. And in the book, Animus is a DJ. Yeah. So it's... This but the boy. way he feels music, I think, is very similar to the way you feel music. Oh, for but, sure. Sorry, yeah, go. No, I'm just saying Animus is in the... You know, there are so many characters in this book because it's a, a short story cycle, so we can't go into all of them. But Animus is one that really stuck out to me because he's this, like, DJ of mostly house music and different sounds that he has collected, but he's he's immortal, and his partner is immortal. Well, his right? partner is, is like this goddess of music that brought over the inspiration of the blues. But the blues could, old, at one point there's a line that the blues could only be risen from the Delta. Like blues mm-hmm. is, is a very Southern, Black, American like experience. Yes. Um, but it, it has its roots in Africa. And so this goddess, I think the main plot of this point is that this goddess is looking for this new kind of note and they, and, uh, she gives this power to this DJ, helps him become immortal. And then they sort of travel around the world for this hidden new music. Um, that's, yeah. I think they found deep in an ocean. It's like very mystical yes, and it's magical. so fascinating. But I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, Animus is sort of like DJing the way he fuses things to create house music. But yeah, go for it. For sure. Which I, um, which music for me does that because I, I'm pretty sure the first music that I ever heard was like gospel music. And, you know, we can all say how we feel about different religions and if you're non-denominational, but like there's something about gospel music that just like takes over and you are just like, For me, it's like yoga. It's like this is a full, holistic, like breath, mind, body experience. And because music was introduced to me in that way, I can't just sing, you know, The Little Mermaid, how she sings it. Well, she kind of does let it embody her. But like I sing The Little Mermaid like 
you know, a 50-year-old, like, divorced house mother of four because it just like I'm feeling every single pain in every part of this story and even as someone who I wouldn't call myself a big singer but I do think I have a really beautiful voice like as someone who lives with you you're a big singer but yeah I said like you mean like I meant like a professional singer right you're not a professional but you're a big singer for sure yes I'm a what you want to say something? Because you're looking like you're, I already said what I had you, to say. Okay, well, I'm not somebody who is a professional singer, but I deeply understand harmonies, and I can can tell when I am vocally off key and things like that. And so, I remember I took this uh, music class. You know, I've taken a couple of voice lessons, but you know, when you go audition for things, you have to choose to sing 16 to 32 bars. Like that's the standard. And I remember struggling to be like, but I'm feeling this whole song. Like, how can I just choose this? And my my music teacher was like, choose the part of the song that tells a story, Mm. like that can tell the most complete story. Uh, So that doesn't have to be the intro or the outro, but sometimes that story exists sort of like in the bridge or the hook of the song. And she was just like, just choose the part of the story where when you sing this part, they hear every word of it for the first time and they can feel the story. So even if it's like Les Mis or something, like obviously I am not, you know. That sounds like the blues. I'm not in the French Revolution and who is now like been forced into prostitution or sex work or anything like that. But I can sing a part of I Dreamed a Dream which I wouldn't do because that's just like, you're not going to get that part. But I can sing a part of that that sort of connects my experience and my past pain and trauma to the words of that song. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And the very structure of this book is very similar to that because you are looking, there are interconnected stories. Some characters show up in the same stories or are referenced and the places are definitely referenced the same. And so you're getting like this incomplete bar of music, mm-hmm. right? And so you, I think you have to, re- you could read the individual, you can read the individual stories, but I think reading the whole thing, you get sort of the whole music, but you can read the individual stories and feel all the individual stories. That, it's actually a really, really nice comparison. You know, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever read Jazz by Toni Morrison? I have not. You know, okay. it's on our I, I, to-do. I think you need to, you know, that was one of the first, I think that was the first Toni Morrison book I, I read. And she uses music as the inspiration for that book. So in this way, it reminds me of that um uh, Nine Bar Blues reminds me of that type of structure as well. I, I want to talk um, a little bit about dance. And there's a scene in here where a character is like dancing in the mirror as like a little kid. And you're a choreograph. Like that's what you I'm do. I'm a what? You're a choreographer. A choreographer? Choreographer. choreographer. I, I don't even know how to say it. I wouldn't call my I wouldn't call myself a choreographer, but I can pick up like eight counts. Like in in the same way that like I wouldn't call myself I'm not a professional dancer, but I could be taught a basic eight count. Well, and keep it. reading that scene made me think. I'm like, I wonder, was this Amber as a kid like mm-hmm. dancing? <laughs> oh, absolutely. We did choreo. We did singing, and the, I mean, this whole book was just like, oh yes, I remember those like hand games and the jump roping and things like that. It's but, like a love letter to like little black girls. Like yeah. you saw yourself very much. <laughs> For sure. But and every story wasn't about that. That's I think she so beautifully did a great job of balancing like 
because when you start, when you talk about and think about all the things that were in the book, it sounds like it would be a little bit of an overwhelming experience, but it wasn't. Like some stories were longer than others, but there were even some parts about like climate change and fracking in there. And that still paired well with like little black girls doing hula hoop and double dutch mm -hmm. that I found really fascinating. But what were you, what else were you going to say about dance? Well, yeah. So what this story I'm referencing, the narrative is that there's this white um, pop artist who sort of looks like I'm assuming in my head looks like Neo from the matrix after he gets out of the matrix. So, uh, she has like, she has like shaved head and she has like all these hookups that you hook up into her and the way they do concerts in this series is that you have someone dance for you and so she has this black woman dance for her and do all the her choreo but she gets all the this white woman gets all the recognition mm -hmm. and this is like a way distant future in which this is how entertainment is done you have like the pop the image the pop artist but then you have like the black uh, backup dancers and I was like we're we're not too far from that because they're literally there like that's literally TikTok. yeah no for sure I think this way it's like there's an actual like hookup in which there's like a I don't know there, there's yeah. some sort of high tech part of this story um or the, I was all into that I think that. Uh, it's like the last the that story is the last dance uh, the dragon can't dance the dragon can't dance um, which is, you know, the dragon is the white lady and uh, is sort of consuming this black dancer, this black artist. Um, it's a great, great story. But the thing that I want to bring up is remember that I think you brought this up to me that people were stealing dances in Fortnite. Remember that whole whole thing? Yeah, well, it's I don't it's it's so interesting because dance and physical movement is not protected in the way that uh, stories and lyrics, like if I went and wrote my own book called Nine Bar Blues and stole her stories, I, I would be sued, you know? But dance isn't like that. Like I can make up a full choreographed dance, post it on TikTok, and someone else can just take it and it's theirs now. So it's those little physical and those mannerisms and even like, physical comedy things you could do. I could easily go see somebody else do that in an improv show. And I'm just like, hey, what's happening? That's my bit. But mm. there's no way to sort of uh, take that. There, there are some things that you can do that like are signature yours. Like Michael Jackson is signature moonwalk. And so, but he reached a level of fame where... Nobody could take that from him, but I'm sure, you know, I don't know, but Michael Jackson could have easily taken the moonwalk for somebody else and, and it's his now. How do you feel about white people doing step? Um, as someone who's an AKA was on the step team in college, cause well, remember they had that step that, what it was, a step sisters or something, you know, it's one of those things where like, it, it's so clear that it's not there, <laughs> like like many things. It, it's hard to gatekeep dance moves. It, it it just is. So when when you see a white person doing steps, it's like, oh, that's good, but it, or or cool, nice nod. But a, as a culture, I think people love a transformation. Like that's you know going back to like the black British actor, right? Like people love, oh my God, you're British, but you can transform your voice into 
an American. They really can't. Their accents are bad. <laughs> Not all of them, but I'm just saying, or like a Nicole Kidman. I won't even just say black British actors, but like, like people love like, oh my God, Nicole Kidman, she's Australian, but she can transform. She to is? It. Wow. You didn't know that? I'm, yeah, I'm joking. Yeah. But I'm just She so, married a country singer too, so that might, I don't know. Anyway, besides the point. I say all this to say people love a transformation. So it's a, it's. When I see white girls doing steps, like, oh, that's fun. Like, we, we, you know, some of my friends did a step for our wedding. Like, it, it was like, what was it about? But when I see, which I rarely have seen, when I see white women doing a step and being praised and people are on the floor saying, like, I've never seen anything like this ever. That's when it's like, what? Really? Like, there are these two girls, um, they're makeup artists. I think they are mixed race. And they braid their hair in these like twists. And Glamour Magazine was like, oh my God, look at these twins with this new cutting edge fashion. And so obviously everybody in the black community was like, what do you mean new? Like we've been doing this for years, but people like a transformation. So Glamour Magazine was like, we've never seen anything like this. Like these girls look and passes white, but they have like these twists. Like did y'all invent this? So it's annoying when... People are praised for like this, you know, stolen transformation that they're having when black people do those things every day. It's like that, that their mediocrity is being praised when, we, when we do that every single I day. I see what you mean. And I think that's why the dragon can't dance. That story is more compelling because the black dancer in this story has no recognition. I mean, sure, like she's getting paid. But the white pop star is the one who's getting all the recognition. Right. And that's sort of where the problem um, uh, comes down to. And it I does. Think- like, if Justin Bieber was black, I don't think he would be as famous as he is. You know what I'm saying? But since we love, like, oh, this white boy can sing, but he also has swag and he can dance and he can play guitar. It's like, I know hella black men that can play guitar. Donald Glover dancing. would disagree with you, though. Donald Glover would disagree with me. Yeah. He did like a spoof on that in Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. And he, Justin Bieber was just as famous. He was not. Oh, he wasn't? He wasn't being followed by paparazzi. He was playing basketball at like the local court. Oh, was that the whole joke? I think it was. Oh, I missed it. It went over my head. Yeah, I think black Justin Bieber was to show like, if a black person did this, they would be like a D-list celebrity at best. I thought it was... It's showing been a while how absurd what Justin Bieber actually does and how he acts. I didn't know it was a commentary on his fame. I think it was, but I mean, we both haven't seen it in so long because it came out like we saw it around I, the time it came I, out. But I think, it, but it, I, think I think it's right, both. Actually. It's like the absurdity of it and the normalcy of it. Yeah. But you like it's like the Kardashians. It's like I'm sorry, you're literally selling like big butts. We've been doing big butts since. <laughs> Since yeah. the beginning of time, but you're, you know, black fishing. So it's, it's, it's black. The black fishing is more praised than the actual blackness, which is what this story so clearly emphasized. I actually want to go back. You mentioned fracking at one point, um, and you could only get this in like southern fantasy horror but that story ends um spoil i know we'll spoil can i spoil alerts alerts everything yeah go for it i really when i think about fracking i don't think about the south 
of course, I mean, maybe I'm being super naive, but when I think about fracking, I think about like wide open spaces of land where this is happening. So Wyoming, Montana, like I know that that's not true, but I just... Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, I need to do more research about fracking. Well, I think this story, there's a factory that ends up poisoning the water, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like Flint, Michigan, yes. and really destroying this entire community. But the way it ends is like there are these giant cicadas, monstrous giant cicadas that come out and like destroy the factory at the end. And I love that because you don't get that type of fantasy unless you're writing in a certain environment where cicadas is just part of this the culture right like so, i love that biblical imagery yeah, as well oh yeah, about the, like the locusts exactly it's it, it has such a southern feel and there are so many parts of this um collection that feels so so southern so what i wanted to ask you what were some other uh things that you read you're like oh that you know my grandma says that or uh, things that sort of struck to you as being like very southern whether it be like language or whether it be something like cicadas being out yeah, oh, oh my I, God, I have a the freaking well. cicadas. Well, you know, Ben, I'll share this with the listeners. There was a point where Ben and I were not struggling to read the book because it's hard, but uh, try we we're we only have one copy of the book, so we try to maximize. Like, okay, when you're at work, I'm gonna read, and then when you get home, it's all yours. And, something... and sometimes when it's all mine, it's just slathered in hot chips. But yeah, of course. And so one night when Ben was cleaning up, I decided to just read it out loud. I was like, let me just read it out loud so that we can both sort of be on the same page about it. We weren't in the same place, but we were reading it out loud. So I will ask you, what are some things you noticed when I was reading it out loud to you? The, there's a, the twang to the entire rhythm, like the language, like the way you were reading it. I I just could, I could listen to you read it all day. Um, and there's these like snapbacks that are, <laughs> that are really like that really, really stuck out to me. Um, and uh, something as, you know, us being amateur foodies, but walnuts and um, our like pecans, uh, pecans, mm-hmm. pecans are a big part. And they mentioned that a lot in this book. But at one point, uh, I think you would like, we were making pecan pie and you call your grandma <laughs> and your grandma was like, are you pregnant? Only... Only a pregnant woman would want to make pecan pie. And that, for me, that very mythology or that very um, language felt for me so Southern. Like the idea Mm -hmm. that pecan pie is a symbol or this index of pregnancy or like rebirth felt so like like mystical, Mm -hmm. magical for me. Or also just like every... And I'm not sure, you know, you were raised in a Christian home, so... A lot of things that happen in the South can sort of become uh, a Jesus mystical world. For example, growing up, every time it rained and was sun shining at the same time, hands down, when you're in the South, you're like, oh, you know, the devil's beating his wife today. That's what that meant. It meant that. I'm sorry, what the fuck? You've never heard that? No. So whenever it's raining and sun shining outside, that means the devil's beating his life. Shut up. Yeah. I believe you, and that for me sounds so Southern. Yeah, like if if my mom woke up and asked my dad, was like, look outside the window, what's the weather looking like? And my dad answered, well, the devil's beating his wife today. That implied that it was like a little bit of rain, a little bit of sunshine. Things like that. 
Um, or, and this actually is a medical thing, but you know, in the South you have porches with rocking chairs on them sometimes. So another weather thing is like my grandma could tell if it was going to rain based on how her knee was feeling if she was on the front porch. Because medically speaking, I think there is some sort of like dampness I, in the air yeah, that, that happens with your knee. But I've but it'll that. just, everything is that, right? Everything is like some sort of like, I feel it in my bones or y'all going to hell in a handbasket. Everything was always about a, a turn of phrase for the most part. Exactly. So As opposed to like facts. Sometimes. No, that's a really good point. This idea of turning the phrase at one point um, in, in the story, in the short story, 13 year long song, there's this great example of what you're talking about. This turn of phrase where um, this character, Rachel is talking to her father, doc, and uh, he's getting all worked up. So Rachel says to him, daddy, don't start up again. Last time you make a ruckus, your pressure went up. And his response was, my pressure didn't go up. My patience just low. Like that, that turn of phrase for me felt so Southern. And the book is just peppered, seasoned with all of them. Southern seasoned. Spice, yes. And I can absolutely hear um, that type of phrase being said when, you know, when we go back to Georgia or whatever. That Because that... it's the shortening of it. Because in, in the South, there's a general underst... Like there are so many things that don't need to be said. So you can easily tailor your language based on like, I don't have to say my blood pressure. It's like, mm. you know, my pressure, like you, you, and I'm sure like every region has some things. It's like, I don't have to, I can say it in the, as few words as possible. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know if it's, is it partly because of there's almost this monolithic culture that exists within the south which sounds like the south is i think there's a stereotype that the south is not as diverse and when you don't have a lot of diversity people are able to immediately fill in the blanks right for example if you go to church you can use certain phrases that everyone will understand you in church simply because you have that shared language and i'm wondering if the south because it is less populated yeah, I don't know. If I that's... think the South is diverse, but we definitely have a shared language because, but those regional, the regionalisms make it diverse. Like, obviously, somebody from Memphis isn't going to sound like somebody from the Bayou in New Orleans. So, there are different things like regionally, but it's, there is a shared understanding about a lot of things, I would say. And then lastly, something that just made my heart sing, like I said, were all of the, the hand games. There was a scene with these little girls who were like, who had gone missing, sadly, but then they were stuck in this like time loop on this playground. And so they uh, just had to play hula hoop and do double dutch and hand games all day. So I could easily read like, you know, Miss Mary, Matt, 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 all dressed in black, black, black. Like I could hear those songs as a child, you you know some hand games, right? Mm. I'm gonna teach you a hand game. I'm gonna post on Patreon me teaching Ben like it's gonna look really sloppy. Like shame, shame, shame or like tweedly leet, tweedly leet, 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 leet. Uh, yeah. all those. Uh, so those oh. just felt like a just a big hug and a homecoming. I wonder how much of those are regionalisms or just a like you know a a social gendered. Um, 
construct where you as a, a young girl would be taught this or and I would not or I want whether regionalisms so I'm, I'm just curious like why I don't know that and those things and you do so that's something that I want to explore more is it because you grew up in the south is it because uh, I'm white or is it because you know you're you know you grew up as a, a girl I grew up as a boy so I think or it could be sort of a mixture of of all those things I do want to talk about that story Teddy Bump though mm-hmm. because these girls don't go missing um they're murdered mm-hmm. uh and you know it made me think of this um article I'd read a while ago in which black women off like oftentimes go missing yeah no one thinks about them and this story sort of has this element of like mystical and the beauty of music and all this wonderfulness but then there's some really disturbing stories and in this story all these little girls um it's referenced one of them was shot by a stray bullet one of them was like stuffed into a freezer in a hotel like some really disturbing uh elements to that and so this book delves the whole emotional spectrum and you know moving from like horror fantasy you know hard you know science fiction hard hard science fiction to to an out to an extent um but yeah i i I really appreciated that it's interesting because there are full like crime junkie podcasts dedicated to like what happened to Relisha Rudd and what happened to Kanika Jenkins. So I think that I want to believe that Sheree Renee Thomas was trying to sort of address this culture of like what happens when this little black girl goes missing, what happens to the community, what happens in the press, because the reality, this comedian made this joke one time. I can't remember which comedian, but he was doing the stand-up special and he was doing some crowd work and he sees this white woman in the audience. He's like, Oh, you a pretty white woman. You one of those white women that if if you went missing, you would be all over the news, something like that. You know, the audience laughs and stuff, and she probably has, like, a, a an annoyed face. But I remember thinking in that moment, like, I cannot really think about, like, when white women go missing, it is... I cannot tell you how many things that, that I have watched, that I have reshared, that I have partaken in of, of you know... What happened to John Benet Ramsey? What happened to Madeline McCain? What happened to Natalie Wood? Like there are full documentaries and think pieces and research teams and GoFundMe's out there. But when these little black girls go missing, it's just not the same um, energy, and it's really sad. And I think she was reminding us of that that fundamental truth. Yeah, and there's there's actually a couple stories that deal with that. One another story that deals with that is the part that make us monsters and there's this really um like haunting line talking about the um the atlantic slave trade where uh sheree uh, renee thomas writes uh, we lay in the noise and the filth with the mothers and the sisters and the daughters listening to their dirge song of shrieks moans the twisting of tongues the deaths of worlds yet born and this whole idea of all the women um, who just were disappeared and lost. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there's there's quite a, uh, there's I think three stories that reference uh, the disappearance of women. One specifically referencing Sandra Bland and then... Well, there were stories in the book about people who had been wrongfully murdered by the police 
And then there were stories that were about missing children, missing black women, missing black children, which is really interesting because like even when um, all of those women went missing and women and girls went missing in Boko Haram, it was like, Obama, hello. Like, (laughs) like, yeah, this is in America, but like a hundred plus girls just went missing, black girls. And I just know that if a hundred white children went missing, something would be done. Yeah, I the um there is an element where like people are like wrongfully killed by the police, but in that story, uh, one of the characters' sister by the end of the story like just disappears. Yes, right. And so there's this vanishing element, which is I think very real. Like, sort of she, in the first story as well with the two sisters. Like yeah. she's sort of like swallowed by the sea. Sorry yeah. for all the spoilers. Oh, you got to read this book because it just, it's, it's mythical. It's magical realism, but it addresses so many things that wouldn't be that, you know, like with the fracking, like it's people do do fracking and maybe a, a wave of locusts and cicadas don't come, but giant giant Giant, yes crawl out of the ground and can like stomp on buildings but is it is that like heightened reality that sends people into shock sadly more than the like no black girls do just vanish that like that's not even that not in some purgatory right right exactly yeah it's it's so this is the i think the power of science fiction fantasy horror is that you're able to write about very real experiences through a fantastical lens which for me makes it even more hyper realistic because yeah. i'm like oh this has a fantasy element oh but this is actually real you know i, I think of that movie what is it district nine i don't know if you've ever seen it but these aliens come to earth um in south africa and they're sort of sectioned in these like um sort of shacks and sort of isolated and i remember watching that and being like oh no there are people humans living like this Mm -hmm. today right and so you're able to write about immigration through this science fictional lens so like hey you felt bad about these aliens hey they're actually humans people who share your very dna who are living like this and i think that's sort of the the greatest power of this genre. I I don't know. um, Let's go to size. I I mean, I didn't really have too many size about this. I agree. You know what would have been cool? I mean, and maybe this is just me being campy. So the cover of the book, which we sort of didn't describe, but it does have some of the, a little element of every part of the book. It's like a cicada. And then there's, um, this like moon and alien. It's just really a nice and pattern. That, that's the Memphis city style. Memphis skyline. city style. And then the center of the book is sort of like what would be the center of a record. Uh, like with the little hole where you drop the record and everything. What would have been cool, maybe, if there were a couple of more musical cartoons in the story or musical drawings that, because there were a couple of times where Sheree Renee Thomas came back to uh, certain characters what would have been maybe just like chef's kiss on those parts as if like what was it called music it's like a coda or something mm. like if there was just a little something there that if you knew music to it, give you the hint that this character that we're coming back we're to coming something back to, or or, yeah. or there were some stories that were longer and shorter right mm. so maybe there could have been like half notes versus like a and, a yeah. full measure or, or just just a little something that would have been a nice little nod to like you musicians out there this is 
what's happening because it read like a music sheet in a lot mm-hmm. of ways like you came back to certain things not so much like a chorus but you were like oh i remember aunt dissy from an earlier chapter yeah. i don't know like the book was perfect so i'm just really just pulling grasping at straws right now but i think that would have been a little bit cool yeah i think i think you had also mentioned that if we had sort of a specific map because this yeah, and, and this is the thing, right? It's like if you watch all of Martin Scorsese's movies, you get Martin, Martin Scorsese's New York, right? You mm-hmm. get his experience of New York. It's not actual New York City. You go to New York City, you're going to have your own experience. But if you watch all his movies, you get a very specific kind of New York. And that's how I felt like reading this is I, I was getting a very specific kind of memphis right Mm -hmm. if we go to memphis we're going to have a very different experience of memphis but for me this uh, almost created this alternate dimension of memphis yeah and i i think it would have been cool if you if there was like a some sort of family maybe a family tree because there's um there's some elements like this is scallywags way and this is east of the mississippi or or whatever the things were but according to you know sure you know sheree uh renee thomas like her perception of that I think would have been really really fun I think my sense is that there are more stories that are going to be written in this world and you know and I love it I'm, I'm really looking taking us a, a deeper look at the cover now and I'm seeing for the first time like mermaids and a mm. dragon yeah there's a mermaid story yeah and I like it, it was just enough and it would have been cool to have a couple more of these elements in the book, some of those artistic elements. But stylistically, you got to read this book. It's powerful. Yeah, I'm all I'm all for it. Well, I think it's time for you to warp up the show. In conclusion, go ahead, buy Nine Bar Blues. It is published by Third Man Books, so it's not one of those three mega publishing houses. I think they're based in Nashville, Tennessee, so support smaller publishing houses. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side. Next week, we are watching Michael Schultz's 1985 cult classic, The Last Dragon. Get ready for some kung fu and black magic, y'all, because this is actually my first time watching this movie, and we cannot wait. So be sure to watch The Last Dragon by Michael Schultz, not to be confused with Ray in The Last Dragon, and we will see y'all next week for the show. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.